Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. The following audio was recorded at Refresh Network Online, an online community for gospel encouragement and refreshment for Christian leaders and their spouses. Well, good morning, everybody. It's lovely to to see you. It's lovely to be back together. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, um, this is just very, very simple opportunity to throw open the windows, breathe the air of the gospel. We want to be like oaks of righteousness, plantings of the Lord, deep roots, streams of living water, and an opportunity to be replenished and encouraged. So if you are joining for the first time this morning, we hope you enjoy it. When we go into breakout groups, there's no pressure for you to contribute. It's really relaxed. So if you want to turn your webcam off so you don't feel, you know, sort of tuned in in that Zoom intensity all the time, then feel very free to do that as well. Um, as Paul said, I'm Marcus and I'm the Director of Living Leadership and uh, enjoy this very much indeed. I want to reflect just a little bit on fruitfulness starting out of John 15 this morning. So if you want to turn up the start of John 15 in a Bible, feel free. I'm going to read it so you don't have to. Uh, Very, very familiar verses that have been on my heart throughout the pandemic. So Jesus to the disciples in the upper room says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. It'll be given you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Well, thus speaks the word of God. Uh, Recently, I was listening to the radio on a car journey. And on the programme, a logistics expert was talking about developing supply networks that are resilient to the current climate. And he described the situation in logistics and delivery as what he called VUCA, V-U-C-A, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. 
VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Uh, apt to change at any time with many different unpredictable factors and many things that left the supply industry at the mercy of unforeseeable events. VUCA, that was quite interesting. I've used a different but similar acronym for many years to describe what some of us find in ministry. Uh, mine has been ICED, ICED, isolation, complexity, exhaustion, and discouragement. But maybe it's VUCA that produces ICED in us volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And on the radio program, the interviewer asked um, the man how logistics people think about VUCA in such a way as they can be resilient to it. And uh, he replied that even before COVID broke, that they didn't think so much about supply chains as supply networks. So if your supply from one source breaks down, it's easy to switch between suppliers and sources and routes and the like. I found that quite interesting. Um, prepare in advance, he said, expecting and anticipating VUCA, be ready for it, and then have multiple sources of input to deal with the unexpected and unknown. Because you don't know what's coming your way. But if you do that, then you know that you've done your best to get systems and structures in place that mean you are not unsettled, left hanging by a thread, or plummeting unexpectedly off a cliff when things you don't expect and can't plan for come out of the blue. Now, that's slightly by the by. I thought it was quite interesting. It made me think about what are our equivalents when it comes to being resilient to the winds and the waves these days. Uh, and I think that there is value in preparing in advance and expecting VUCA and having multiple ways to, to receive input when the unexpected unknown, unknown happens, but that's secondary, I think. The temptation for me is to think that I will deal with the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity by working harder and just trying to deliver everything that everybody likes and wants from me and demands from me as a leader. Um, sometimes I fear that I will be criticised if I don't. Sometimes I find myself on the horns of conflicting expectations and desires. I'm sure that many of us feel that, um, that some of our people will think that their spiritual supply chain has failed them if we can't get them back to normal church life, whatever that means. And so we can feel obliged to return to as close as possible to what you had before for the sake of familiarity. And familiarity is not to be sniffed at when everybody is just clutching on by their fingertips. Uh, whether, of course, it is possible to do that or a right thing to do is a different question. But the trouble for me is that I so easily identify fruitfulness with delivering the familiar that I will be thanked for and affirmed for giving people. We like that. I like the idea that I can do something that people appreciate and that they will recognize it and recompense me for it, praise me for it. When we were praying just before, um, uh, when the team were praying just before everybody uh, joined in, 
uh, castles prayed uh, with just great gratitude uh, that we're loved and accepted, uh, not because of what we do, but because we're resting in Jesus and because of what he has done. I find it so tempting in a pressured world to think that I am loved and accepted and I will be fruitful because of what I do and not because I'm abiding. But of course, that's not fruitfulness as Jesus defines it here. Maybe fruitfulness as our people define it. Give us safety, give us security, give us familiarity. And so ministers easily become people who are meant to reduce VUCA for everybody else by delivering plans and activities that are comfortable. Whatever you do, get us out of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That's what we're expecting from you. But of course, real fruitfulness here in John 15 is what Jesus produces in us as we abide in him. I am the vine, you're the branches. If somebody remains in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I think for me, the biggest challenge and lesson of this season of life is that apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, having been well-educated, had a ministry that's appreciated, I find it incredibly easy to think that apart from Jesus, I can do something. Might not be very much, but something. Otherwise, what was all that training and experience for? Why would anybody give me a job if they think that I can do nothing? But surely God will do things if he wishes, but in the absence of that, I can do something. That's, that's my temptation. Uh, when in doubt, do something. We must do something. This is something, therefore I must do it. And surely, at least in part, what Jesus is saying in John 15 is to resist that. Uh, when in doubt, don't do something. When in doubt, seek God and pray. Just doing something for the sake of it might actually prevent me giving time to doing that. I wonder what are the ideas that come into your mind when you think about fruitfulness, or what are the ideas in your people's minds when they think about fruitfulness? Depending on our church, it might be delivering services, pastoral visitation, putting on evangelistic events, seeing conversions, growth. People interpret fruitfulness in a lot of different ways, I think. Jesus's fruit is variously described as um, the peaceful fruit of righteousness in Philippians 1 and Hebrews 12. I love that, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's, that's what is emerging in our characters and in our ministries as we rest in Jesus and enjoy God's grace. It's described as a harvest of righteousness in James 3. It's described as fruit in keeping with repentance in Luke 3. And obviously, most descriptively, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. Uh, they're the same thing. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the peaceful fruit of righteousness, the harvest of righteousness, the fruit in keeping with repentance. It's what God is growing in us. Fruitfulness starts with repentance and receiving the Holy Spirit. It abounds in love, discernment, purity, kindness. 
It fills and transforms our characters by the power of the Spirit so that we are we become imitators. We're imitating Jesus and enjoying the reality that his righteousness is given to us as a free gift of God's grace. But most importantly, apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, there is no fruitfulness. But in him, there is fruitfulness. When we realize that any fruit in our lives and any fruit in our ministries all comes from him anyway, for me, it just removes the pressure to perform for approval. But I do need to keep reminded of it because I leak that so much. When we're longing for validation and significance from people, the underlying sense is that my worth is determined by what people think of me. And then the temptation is to carry on delivering what they want in order to keep the approval flowing. I can think of times when I know that I and others have inflated our successes or gained approval from them by illegitimate means or minimized my sins and failures and put on a mask to show apparent fruitfulness to people, because I think that's what they want to see. When I have dressed things up to look great and to seem spiritual, when in fact it was just worldly, it was done in my own strength and it was done to get applause. Now, there is no way to embed healthiness and holiness at the heart of leadership like that. But abiding in the vine removes the need to perform. Realizing that you already have a perfect reputation in Jesus means that we don't have to have a reputation. Realizing that Jesus is our life means that there are no threats that finally are going to uh, diminish our life. So Hebrews 10, 14, isn't it? By one sacrifice, he has declared perfect forever those who are being made holy. You come this morning clothed in his righteousness like a, a royal robe uh, put on you. <laughs> Love the comparison with, um, remember uh, um, when uh, Esau is deceiving his dad and he puts on uh, puts on a sheepskin. It's a lie. He's, he's putting on a lie but we are clothed in, in a, a robe of truthfulness and grace and righteousness. It's just lovely in the place of our own filthy rags. You don't have to perform for, for God to think you have a perfect reputation in Jesus. And with the abiding, removing the need to perform, it, it does draw the poison out of the desire for approval, doesn't it? I think it also... Um, draws out the desire for, for prestige, for power, for influence. We are seeing many difficult situations at the moment, I think, in the evangelical world where big questions need to be asked about um, how leaders have been using power and understanding influence. And I do wonder what's going on underneath that. Why, why have those things now come to the fore? Why have they happened? Why have they festered for so long? What is it about us that hasn't engendered a culture of vulnerability and weakness and openness and repentance flowing from a deep appreciation of the grace of God to sinners? Makes me wonder, have we been a culture that has been dominated by rules and regulations, perhaps? Rules and regulations don't produce this, only grace produces this, only abiding in Jesus. 
the result of which is that he gives us his joy and he completes it, as it says in verse 11. We've been a culture where grace and joy have actually not been our guiding uh, yeah, our guiding lights and our way into repentance, abiding and fruitfulness. What Jesus' fruit produces is a culture in which we pray, one in which we cast our cares on the Lord, in which we and everybody else repents often and forgives often, in which we delight ourselves in the Lord. And when we gather, there is a sense of authenticity and anticipation at being in the presence of God, praising him with thankfulness for the glory of his grace. And that is a culture that I am desperate for, because it's one in which we do not need to be impressive. And you can either, you can either, you can either look impressive or you can be fruitful, I think, because people who are abiding in the vine and it's all from Jesus aren't impressive ourselves. And actually, when we're abiding in him, he is our resilience to VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. I don't need to be resilient to that because he is. I'm not saying don't plan, but I think I am saying we don't get our value from whether our plans work or not, and whether people applaud us for pushing through on them and delivering the results, when we realize that apart from him, we can do nothing, then leading out of weakness <laughs> seems not just the only way to go. I don't know about you, but but leading out of weakness is something that I think, well, I'll do that if I'm absolutely forced to. I have no choice. But we know it's the right way to go. We just wish that 2 Corinthians 12 wasn't in the Bible. But we don't have to prove ourselves. Anybody who thought that our worth was dependent on being resilient for all our people to a global pandemic, well, that was never going to work, was it? Abiding in Jesus is the same thing as vibrant spiritual healthiness. Uh, That doesn't mean we have to be happy and jolly all the time. We can be burdened and remain in the vine. Uh, Next week, I have to take the funeral of my best non-Christian friend of 30 years. And honestly, I'm pretty burdened and despondent about it. But I do know where I have to go with that. And that is worshipping, hiding the scripture in my heart, casting my anxieties on the Lord because he cares for me. It's so easy just to get caught up in funeral prep and in doing loads of other things. Uh, The pressure feels like it's on at the moment, but it's like the Lord is saying, come on, Marcus. Now is precisely not the time to concentrate on everything else to the exclusion of abiding. When we do that, uh, it's so easy to do it with with, with burdens. When when we're in times of despondency, it's easy, isn't it? The first casualty is always our spiritual healthiness and then the spiritual healthiness of our churches and our people as well. So abide in him, dear friends. Remain in his love and thereby in the love of the Father. We might not feel that we are delivering, but his joy will be in us. And regardless of how we are tempted to measure fruitfulness, humanly speaking, we will be branches that bear fruit. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. 
If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.